Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number four, Failures and Shortcomings. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. What have you been up to, Mike? Uh, well, last week we released the uh, first little preview of my next project, which is Hexdash. Heck it's, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's going to be a Vue.js tutorial or guide, uh, and I'm going to kind of take it slow, so we're going to go really, like, basic setting up a project, uh how to do like just basic styled components and then maybe like we're, I'm going to break it up into several different uh, articles right. so that people can follow along and every article will be kind of self-containing and people will be able to at least start something and, and finish it and then build their own knowledge and then join us for the next article and kind of expand on that knowledge. So that's my goal and having having one of those articles released this week is kind of my goal for the week in terms of HTML the things. And I think that might be one of the best ways to probably teach somebody is is when they see uh, an actual use case, as we all have experienced in math class, when they tell us to just sort of follow the steps. You don't really know what you're doing, right? So those application questions really really get you. So I think you're I think you're on the right path there for sure. And hopefully it will be pretty valuable for people starting out with Vue.js for sure. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping so. So the the hexagon the hexagon examples might be exactly what people need. Yeah, precisely. And we were actually talking about some real world use cases already for those before the show began. So hopefully then people, people who are more creative than us, I'm sure, can really kind of dive in with those and kind of figure out what they want to do with them and make their own projects. So that'd be pretty, that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, personally, I've been this week just again doing the grind. I've been really focusing on the actual website. So htmlallthethings.com. Uh, we keep saying it's coming soon and it is indeed still coming soon, but we've, comes up with some pretty large developments in terms of the design of it and how it's going to work and what platform it's going to use, etc. And that's also going to be posted on Medium. So I have a couple of articles coming out. The first one is going to be, it's essentially a part one and part two, but they're separated. So um, basically, the first the first article is going to be about how we designed the actual project HTML, all the things and where the content is and why it's there, why it's where it is. And then the second, the second article, which is going to have a name in its own right, is going to be the full design procedure that we took with htmlallthethings.com based on where our content lives and that sort of thing. So it should be interesting for people who are, you know, maybe they just started learning development skills and they've never dug, dove in on an actual full project because I'm sure we've all thought of starting a blog or something at this point. So for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> I hope I, I I would hope so. So, uh, yeah. so we're gonna uh, we're gonna introduce the show as we always do. So this this episode, as we've already said, is about our failures and our shortcomings. Um, so we're gonna be like Digital Dynasty Design, which is of course the main uh, company that we work for, the one that we started, makes a lot of web apps and websites and that that sort of thing. And we've had, of course, our fair share of failures as well as some that have. You know, we've worked on them and they haven't quite made it to market and that type of thing. So we have a bit of a summary of those failures and what we do about them. Now, these failures, just a, just a full disclaimer, these are not in any particular order. It's, they're not chronologically uh, listed or anything like that. And uh, we're also going to be talking about how to rise above failures, how to mitigate risks financially and otherwise. And then we're also going to be talking about how we how we 
have like a structure when we create a project or when we uh, brainstorm a project, how we deal with failure before we even begin. So that's that, that's going to be a segment coming up. So we have a few segments, as they always do. Segment number one, starting up. Segment number two is lists by design. Segment number three is clicks to riches. Segment number four is free photos Hamilton. Segment number five is... Oh, that's my, that's my page here. Se- segment number five is uh, dealing with and mitigating failure. And of course, our recurring segment, web news, which is, I'm going to leave that title out this time because I think we're going to get into a bit of a, a bit of a fight here. <laughs> so we've already yeah. discussed it briefly before the show. So this is just like, uh, just like app overload. This might be, this might be quite the segment. Uh, but I'm going to start out, of course, with segment number one starting up. And so as you guys have known, if you've been following the show at all, we were originally going to be an IT company and we had an opportunity to make websites for the members of a big membership site. And this kind of opportunity just kind of fell into our laps through our own personal connections. Unfortunately, this kind of fell through. And at this point, we had already invested um, into learning the basics of web development and design. And so we decided, well, you know, we're already technical and we're already ready to go. We might as well continue in this field. And then we attempted to break into that same market, so that same market of the members from that membership site a few times with little to no success. And I'm going to, Mike was kind of on the front lines of this one. This was right when we were starting up. So I'm going to let uh, let you take it over, Mike, with sort of the takeaways from this experience. Yeah, for sure. So when we decided to do this, we kind of had like a big database of people that we could contact uh, through this organization. And that, you know, as soon as you get like that big database, you think you have a foot in the door. But what we really found out was, yes, it gave us that foot in the door, but it wasn't the right audience. Um, it was it was a very basic audience and they didn't really see the value of a website as much as other companies might see it. Uh, they were still kind of in the past. And even though we saw that as kind of a value add because maybe they didn't have the right web presence and they wanted it. In the end, we we kind of found out that it wasn't uh, that wasn't the case, and they they were set in their ways, and it would take a lot more to convince them than we were willing to dole out. So we actually had to go to like these events. Uh, I had to do presentations, and we had to then run a small little small booth. It was an industry event, so we ran a small booth, and then people would come up to us and talk to us. And there was quite a bit of engagement, so at least I got to talk to different organizations about their their digital lifestyle and about how they uh, how they manage themselves online. But really, in the end, none of them followed through. Like we tried to, you know, get the ball rolling and tried to get some get some of the clients to actually sign up for a contract. But uh, most of them just kind of brushed us off because they were too busy with the actual work that they were doing which is fair uh, and that that's not really like that that's some some of it's on us and some of it's on them and there, there wasn't anyone to blame and i think we we still did the right thing in taking the opportunity um but the skills that we learned definitely outweigh the amount of monetary payback we got from it so again it 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 would you could say it was a failure, but I would say we still gained those industry skills, those the, the ability to talk at a, at a presentation, the ability to uh, get people interested in your product. Uh, that those were invaluable at the time, especially because we were just starting out. So that was really it. That's all we gained from that. Um, we still we still have that industry as a client, which is also great. So we we kind of solidified our relationship with the client during the thing. So that was another takeaway, I would say. Uh, but, but other than that, I think that's it. That closes out that segment. 
that section. So I'm going to move on to the next segment, which is list by design. So uh, in list by design, uh, we started uh, we started looking at different different niches inside of the programming space that we thought were interesting with our skills of just pure JS, pure CSS, and pure HTML. What could we do to kind of differentiate ourselves from the plethora of other companies that are out there? Uh, and we looked at Chrome development at, at the time as one of those niches that were kind of growing. And uh, this was before they were bringing in the Android apps and before they actually stopped development of Chrome apps on Windows. Um, this was kind of more of the time when it was actually expanding more than it was going into a different segment. So I, I wouldn't say it's going it's getting smaller now, although with the Android app uh, integration, it might be considered like Chrome apps might be considered kind of irrelevant. So maybe, but anyway, this, this, this was the time, this was a time when it was actually expanding and everyone was more or less interested in it. And it, it was, it was a little bit of a niche for us. So when, when we went in, we decided to make an extension called list by design, which really like it filled our needs. So what we wanted was something where you could go to literally five or six different websites that sold that sold merchandise so go to amazon go to ebay and make a shopping list or, sh- or even a shopping cart what, what we were thinking of down the line if the if the application ever took off get a shopping cart and have all the totals and like have the have what you want in that shopping cart from all the different websites so instead of just going to amazon and making a shopping cart on amazon instead of going to ebay and making a shopping cart on ebay have an actual list of all the different shopping uh, all the different items that you want from all the different websites and have the totals and have a, to- have a sum of how much it's going to cost you. So it kind of kept you more organized across web shopping. And really it added a leather layer to a, a bookmarking application. Um, so that was the intention. We thought that was a pretty good idea at the time. Uh, obviously with, with pulling pricing information and, uh, getting actual access to a shopping cart was a little bit more complicated than we, we assumed when we when we went into it but we got I think I think we got to a point where we liked the application as it was so it, it still pulled in the information about the URL the what what you got like the content and then you can manually enter in the uh, the price of the of the product so that that's kind of that was kind of version one and if, if we got interest in this idea, we were going to add a option for pulling that pricing information because it was just more of a development task than we wanted to put into something that we were going to release for free anyway. Um, so that I, I don't know if that was a, a mistake or not, but um, really I'll, I'll let Matt actually handle the next part uh, when we got into testing of the application. So Matt, you can you can talk about that. Right. So what we did was one of the main things that we had never done before at this point in our career was really sort of make a consumer product. So we had made websites, of course, for people and had the users as well as their family, friends and customers test out the site. But we've never actually been the ones to assemble the test group. So for List by Design, we got a bunch of uh, friends and family together and some people even related to them. And we all added them to a chat and we were like, okay, you know, all you guys use Chrome. Let's, you know, well, here's the test link. Here's the test install. This is how you do it. Install it. Let us know what you think. And what we actually found out was people were 
I don't know whether it's because they know us or what, but they were very, very blunt, and I really actually like that. So some people would be like, this button is just, like, garbage, like, this shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And, like, some, and, like, but what's really good about it is some people would be really on that type of stuff, like the UI and the UX, and other people would be like, yo, where's the pricing? Where's the check marks? Where's the list? I want more of this. I want more of that. So we had a really good mix. So I think getting kind of, like, a volume of people is probably a good idea. Not, like, thousands by any means. I think we maybe had... I think it may have been 20 or maybe even below 20, but we had like a good amount of, we had a good amount of people. So that's definitely something that something that we definitely benefited from. And it kind of really taught us how to take feedback from other people. And every single time we put out a build or a version, it would just keep getting better and better and better. And it got to the point where we were on version, like the internal version, I think it may have been four or five, something like that. And we went back at one point to look at one of the old versions and it had just totally transformed the application. Because when Mike and I are just working on it together as developers, you start becoming blind to issues that users would see on the daily. And the reason that is, is because you are you know, fully focused on making sure this function works or this button works. And you're not concerning yourself with something as simple as, oh, it's kind of annoying to swipe here. Or, hey, it's kind of weird that the settings cog is hidden here. You know, whatever UX concerns there is. Mm-hmm. So you definitely need that out- outside view. And especially since a lot of our friends are non-technical, that's also great because a lot of the people that are going to be using an extension on Chrome would obviously not be technical either. Not everyone's going to be like, oh, that's okay. I know what they were thinking, you know. So that was definitely something that we came away with. Uh, that was a really great experience for us. Um, overall, I would say the result the result of this project was definitely uh, a shortcoming. So it's still, it's still alive today and all that, but we have a couple of pros and cons here. So the pros after releasing this, pro- this uh, product was uh, users were more engaged than we thought they would be. So we were actually getting some emails from people and uh, wasn't really on social media, but people were definitely, we got a few, and I do mean a few, but we got a few emails of people saying, hey, I use this all the time. We actually got one uh, it must have been a year in or at least a few months in that was actually requesting some features because he used it for work. So it, that that was pretty interesting and that's pretty cool to see. It's like, hey, our product's being used in some like random person's computer. That's awesome. Some of the cons, obviously. So there were less overall users than expected. Um, and you can go see the live user count right now in the Chrome Web Store because it is still live there. But there was definitely less overall users than we expected. We kind of thought it would this application would grow to be like a real bookmarks alternative and it really didn't. And we didn't really get enough user engagement. I know that's contradictory to what I said before, but in terms specifically of reviews and um, public users like giving us feedback, so people actually leaving an actual review with proper feedback and that type of thing. And I think that's really key, you know, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be on the Chrome web store or whatever, you really need people to drum up a conversation Mm -hmm. about what you're doing. And I think that I think that we definitely that application definitely lacked in that way, uh, and a part of that is probably because our social presence wasn't great. So you know, you if you have five followers or something and you tweet it out, I mean, how many followers are you really gonna be able to find unless you're unless you somehow go viral? So some of our takeaways from this project um, were definitely that I already mentioned it: how to work with the test group for sure. That's a huge thing. 
another thing that we had never done before at the time was how to manage an app on an app store. So managing the manifest files, uh, packaging it or not packaging it in certain ways. There's like different ways for every type of store. And also just in general, how to develop Chrome extensions. This was our very first Chrome extension, very first time on an app store, very first test group. So, you know, we did learn a lot and a lot of this, a lot of those lessons are, you know, refined and learned uh, throughout our future projects. I'll actually uh, talk about another one in our third segment here, segment three, Clicks to Riches. So this was actually a Chrome app and it was our first attempt at making a game. This one, as Mike said as well, this was when Chrome apps were still on PC. They were still obviously on Chrome OS as they are today. And it was kind of like, you know, you can use Chrome apps, you know, basically everywhere. So Clicks of Riches was a clicker slash idol game that had people rising through the ranks in ancient times from a peasant all the way through king. And we added an infinite replayability, like sort of quote unquote prestige system. And which means basically you can go through the game repeatedly with various bonuses. And then eventually you can do like this time trial that kind of lasts forever. So that's that we added that replayability system in there. Um, and this actually was a subset of another game. So we had another game in the works and we had talked about it quite a bit and kind of put together the mechanics. I'm not going to go too in depth because it never actually did get released. But the other game was basically a larger idle game slash clicker game where you would send out heroes to do quests and do various dungeon crawling missions. Um, and then you basically you would slowly start, you know, getting money and you would upgrade passive income buildings as you progress. If you've played mobile games, a lot of them are idle games and it would be something similar to this type of thing. And the thing is, is we really had an ambitious game planned out and this smaller version, so Clicks to Riches is the smaller version of that larger game, was supposed to hold us over until the first game was released because we knew the larger game was going to take so long to make that we were like, okay, we need like, you know, a little cash and we need a little bit of motivation of people talking to us and giving us ideas and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, we're going to move on to the result. I'm going to toss that actually back over to Mike. So go ahead there, Mike. Yeah, so... Um... The game, it was a, it was a good idea, I think, and the the, the you know the short term uh, success kind of gave us a little bit of motivation. So what what happened what happened was when we first released it onto the uh, web store, we released it at a ninety nine cents application. Uh, we did some marketing for it, you know, put it in, uh, put it on Reddit a little bit, um, did a little bit of social media marketing, although we weren't very experienced with that at the time. And uh, we, we did drum up some some interest and eventually it was actually featured on the Chrome Web Store banner, which was it was early on to like maybe the first week that we released it, which was a big deal for us. Like we were featured right on the front page whenever you log into Chrome, the Chrome Web Store. And we thought that that would be our like, you know, our first stepping stone. And unfortunately, probably because we charged 99 cents for the application, um, it never really got the downloads that we were expecting it got 40 downloads so you know people spent money got for like 40 installs to get this idle clicker game that no one no one's ever heard about and no one's ever heard about us so that that was kind of cool but for the most part um we were expecting more and i think after that little initial you know uh motivation expired and we saw oh damn we're we're at 40 application we're at 40 app installs and it's not going up and we're no longer featured anymore, and obviously we're not going to get any more than that if we're no longer featured, and it's not going up. We kind of lost motivation for the second game. 
uh, because it was the same situation as clicks uh, as uh, list by design. So we want we had all this roadmap of features that we wanted to add, but really we're not going to add those features if no one's even like discussing the game with us and no one's really asking for those features. So like the the goal the goal of the thing is to release a product if it ha- if it has engagement, then we'll add to it give give people more value for their money. But what what ended up happening was we got it to a playable state we got it to a replayable state which was great the um the 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 time the time trial was played and a lot of people did get to it the people that played it uh but the the issue was that we took so long creating that final part of the game like that's what one of the cons uh turned into the fact that we spent instead of one week creating a functioning game we spent three weeks creating a functioning game uh, just to add, you know, an ex- extra little bit of content that not everyone even got to, uh, that kind of also put a damper on things because we wanted it to be a one-week project, move on to the next game. Didn't happen that way. And uh, in general, yeah, like it, it was a good, it was a good experience because we were working with a designer at the time, and we're working with an artist. So uh, Matt would do the layouts. Uh, our artist would do the actual art for the layouts, and then I would code in the back end, do all the idle timing code and do all the clicking code and all that uh which was a great learning experience even working with a small team that was awesome for us um and what what we really got from it was just understanding a little bit about branding in the web store uh and it it also then eventually led to our biggest client that we have today so one of one of the things that it gave us was a portfolio piece and when we went and posted our portfolio on many of these different websites like upwork and uh what are the other ones, Matt? Um, Guru is one. I think we also made the made one on freelancer.com, I think. There we go. So we posted like on a, on a bunch of different uh, freelancer websites. We eventually got contacted by someone that was looking to design a Chrome Web Store app for uh, like one of one of his larger clients. So like it it led to that because he looked at the game, he looked at the at the uh, Chrome extension and decided that we had enough experience in that and we really did and we we're still working with that large client today so i would say yes the game failed but the takeaways were far greater than we expected um so really do you have anything else to add there matt i was actually just going to say i mean we're probably going to cover this in the in one of the final segments but that's definitely a really good point is even though this project failed at the end of the day your or i guess like any business's primary goal is to, you know, accelerate forward, make more money, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is. And as long as, even if your project fails and it pushed your main goal ahead, which this one did, I mean, that's a success in a way. So we listed this as a shortcoming and a failure because the big game failed. The other, the smaller game clicks to riches was smaller for sure. But at the end of the day, you know, we didn't get stuck up on that and you just keep going forward. And this is what ended up happening to us. Mm. So for sure. Um, one of the things I think, uh, or the next segment, I think that we definitely should cover, cause this was a big one for us in the beginning segment four: free photos, Hamilton. So free photos, Hamilton was supposed to be a stock photo resource that focused on Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, as well as the surrounding area. And there's actually a few photos of other places like the U S and other parts of Canada in there as well. Most of the photos were released under the creative commons attribution 4.0, uh, international license. And one of the things is, you know, kind of run of the mill. It's a free photo, free stock photo resource. You go there, you download your photo, and that's just about it. Um, unfortunately, we, we were kind of naive, and we were kind of at that point 
in our career where we thought, oh, we're going to do something local, which, you know, so a lot of people love local. We're going to do something local and we're going to do something free. Two things that people really love. And of course, it didn't really get as much traction as we thought. Um, we have this one listed as a failure, but not dead. And uh, we may have some future future plans for this project. Uh, but some of the pros of from releasing this project, because it is still live today, is that it was actually, for us, a big social media hit on the first days of release. People were sharing photos. They were talking to us on Twitter. They were using fo- the photos as their Facebook covers. And people from the community were asking to contribute. So people were really digging the fact that it was local. So those things, the you know, the free and the local stuff was actually coming into play. But I think one of the things is, is we just didn't act fast enough and we weren't equipped to take content from other people. We were kind of equipped to, as hobbyist photographers, and we had some friends also also like you know push content into it but as hobbyist photographers we were just taking you know photos of landscapes photos of buildings photos of whatever that we thought would interest people and we just weren't ready to start taking in photos from the on mass you know moderate them in the whole bit so some of the cons of course for this project which resulted in it being a failure was the fact that the traffic fell very quickly after the first two months So the first month was like around 700 viewers. And then, you know, with very minimal pushing, it went to 900. So we thought we were really onto something. We thought it was going to keep growing, obviously. But then it just like collapsed overnight, essentially. And it almost fell to nothing in the following months. And it's been like that ever since. Now, we haven't been necessarily pushing a ton of content into it. Uh, We upload a photo here and there. But it just, it's one of those things where we were doing our daily grind, you know, we're, we're, you know, working with clients, making websites, doing that, that type of thing. And the content just took too long to produce. Like we were going out there with a DSLR. I don't actually live in Hamilton. I live a little bit outside of Hamilton. So I would drive 20 minutes. I'd pick up a buddy. We would both go out there with DSLRs. We would go, you know, shoot the local landscape, which is like rather good in Hamilton. Lots of waterfalls and lots of, lots of other things like that. So lots of like points of interest and the pictures were good, but that's a lot of time. You know, we're not, I'm not sitting there designing a website all day. I'm hopping in the car, driving to the next city and then, and then get, getting a friend and we're taking pictures. And then you have to actually put it up, you know, prepare it and the whole bit. So it did take a really long time. Um, and also because the content took so long to produce, it was the thing where we wanted consistency on social media, but as a result, then it would have to be repeated. You'd have to have repeat photos on there. So we, and being new to social media at the time as well, it, it was just a bit of a mess. It was kind of the perfect storm of a bit of a mess. This was, uh, this was our first, one of our first actual website projects that we own too. So, I mean, again, perfect storm. <laughs> uh, some of the, some of the takeaways, uh, at this point, I guess would be, um, our social media presence was hard to maintain whilst doing day-to-day operations. Like I said, you're doing the grind, you can't keep up with it, and social media requires a lot of time and patience and reading and every other thing and engaging. And it was hard to generate content on the regular. So like I said, go take photos, come back, prepare them, upload them, and then prepare to post to social. Big mess. And we also had, we really also had like that community that wanted to join us, and we really should have used them more but we just weren't equipped to do that. And we didn't act fast enough to be honest. We didn't act on that. And we probably really should have leveraged the fact that the community was, it would have been interested. Um, we did learn how to look up uh, legal concerns. So one of the things was I had no idea what the photography law was in Canada. And I, you know, I, I looked it up and learned enough and got some resources to learn enough to know 
you know, how do I run this this resource properly kind of thing. Um, also, Free Photos Hamilton is a heavy site. It's a media heavy site. And from that, we learned a bunch of optimization techniques and ultimately how far a certain hosting would take us. So if we ha- we at the time had cheaper hosting and of course it was just kind of like chugging along and we had to really optimize it. So that's a good takeaway. Like it kind of sucks that the site wasn't running very well, especially at the beginning. It's still a little slow today, but it's a lot better than it was. And that's a really great skill to learn though is, oh, this is how you optimize. You compress this way, you, you cache this way, you do this, you do that, etc. And also it was our very first WordPress project that we designed from scratch. So we intentionally went in and we used a lot of plugins. We used a lot of, of themes. We, u- we tried to really exercise our, our knowledge of WordPress and really kind of dig into it to learn those skills. And we have actually used those um, professionally otherwise as well. So there's for another pretty big takeaway. I don't know if you have anything else to, uh, to mention on Free Photos Hamilton, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to mention the WordPress experience, but you you nailed it. Um, got us, I think, at least a couple clients because of it, so that helped. Um, and I mean, yeah, like you said, it's not dead, so maybe at some point we will revisit and maybe rework it, maybe do a, uh, maybe maybe get something something on Hat going, right? Like get get, get some community feedback on there. That was one of the, that was actually a, that's a really good point is the, the usability of WordPress with that type of site is actually questionable. Mm-hmm. And since you, it's all about UI UX, you may see something regarding that project where we might do a little revitalization and at the same time, try to show it off, I guess, on hat. I'm not going to get too, too into it. I got, uh, we'll post some teasers I, I, <laughs> when we get, when we get hint, closer hint, to the yeah, date. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, so uh, other than that, let's let's move on to the next segment, right? Um, so dealing with and mitigating failure. So I want to tackle the word failure right away, actually. So what what we've learned throughout this entire podcast really is that none of these have really failed to the extent that of what failure is. So yes, they have not lived up to the expectations that we kind of set for them, Um and they have not expand. They've not gone forward with those with those expectations. But what they did do was they gave us the knowledge to move on. And every failure has moved us forward to our goal of eventually, like, of maintaining this this company and getting more experience in the industry, and uh, you know, be, being a legitimate development development company and de- being good developers. Um, so. It's hard, like when you look at when you look at a product, it's kind of it's hard sometimes to to tell what a product will do. So if you like like we did with uh, list by design, we thought that hey, it's a great it's a great tool. Why wouldn't people why won't people use it? Give us some feedback, and then we can make it into an even better tool. What we learned that is getting that feedback from people is almost impossible without any notoriety. So you can't just expect people to talk to you uh, if you don't have anything anything there and we, we we didn't have a presence so where are they even going to talk to us um we thought that like you know throwing up a a twitter a twitter post here and there is a presence but really it isn't really you have to build a community before you can do you can do things like that for sure um yeah so again learning experience so 
and then again, even if you've done a bunch of research, there's no telling what may happen. So you could you can go in and you can research games. So we did research for the Clicks to Riches game. Bam! Like Cookie Clicker was was popular at the time. Adventure Capitalist was popular at the time. We're like, oh wow, let's capitalize on this on this trend, right? That's a it's a huge trend. Uh, we went on the Chrome Web Store. There's really nothing on the Chrome Web Store that would be a clicker game. So we're like, bam, niche. On the Chrome Web Store, a game that a game that people might play, get some really good artwork, which it really has. You should check it out. At least it's free now, so you can you can download it if you have a Chromebook. <laughs> if you don't have a Chromebook, sorry about that. You can maybe just check out the con- the uh, the page for it on our website, uh, digitaldynasty.com. So uh, or sorry, .ca. So we 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 decided to do that, but really in the end, it wasn't about that. The Chrome Web Store wasn't a a platform for a game like that and we weren't we we didn't have the notoriety to promote it enough to get it to get it into people's hands we made a mistake i think charging a dollar for it but we wanted to get some some quick money back for our for our efforts because we needed to continue working on the next project so really we didn't have too much of a choice if we would have charged nothing uh we wouldn't get anything from it money monetarily and if we would have chart if we would have put ads in there people would be complaining about ads because we don't personally none of us really liked ads in games at the time and we didn't want to you know push that push that forward so we decided to go the 99 cent route it wasn't too much money but in the chrome web store there's not too many applications that cost money and why would people risk on something that they'd never heard of and we had, we had actually been uh, just to interject there we had actually been yeah. warned on on reddit Yes. We had posted we had posted something about it on Reddit. I don't remember whether it was for feedback or a question. And somebody had said, you know, it's a little unorthodox. I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember what the exact comment was. But generally speaking, the message was it's a little weird that you're releasing something on Chrome Web Store for payment. Like, obviously, the system allows it. Mm-hmm. But he even kind of warned us. He's like, you know, best of luck. But, like, I don't know about this kind of thing. Yeah, he warned us, and he's like, "Hey, if anything happens, like, let me know." And I, that that's interesting information. So we're like, "Okay, we're going to continue with it." The other thing was like, we didn't think about the fact that if we post it for ninety nine cents, uh, how are we going to make it free? And or if we were going to make it free in the end, because it's kind of you know a weird thing to do. Uh, we eventually made it free because after how how long was it? Two years? Something like that. It was we a long that time. Was fair, anyway. <laughs> like those those forty people that bought it uh have gotten enough value for that 99 cents if they were playing it so we thought it was fair to post it for free but before that we were we were even concerned about those 40 people being like oh wow like these guys just made it free and uh i paid 99 cents what are like that that's kind of a dick move and that's fair like i didn't we didn't want to do that so for sure it was a bad strategy to begin with most likely and but we did not have the expertise to know that at the time but now we do again this is this is when you're going into a project, uh, thinking about how it's going to fail will actually make it easier for you to continue with the project. Yes, you want to be confident about the project. You want to know that yes, for sure it's going to it's going to succeed. But really, you got to look at all the different endings. So let's say uh, we do this podcast, we do HTML, all the things. What's the worst that can happen? We're going to have a bunch of content online. And we're going to have more knowledge and more notoriety. Like that's literally the worst thing that can happen right now. That is technically a failure, right? Because that's not what we want to happen. That's not what we're projecting to happen. But if that does happen, that is still some, some value. Like you want to do projects that will no matter what get you that value. 
put it on your resume, like put it in your portfolio, regardless, managing all these different social medias. Matt's been going crazy on online. Just he's, he's pretty much living in social media right now, learning how to manage it. Like going a little crazy, but, but still like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I I said, you some pretty crazy. I said, you some pretty crazy messages here. There I'll just be like, okay, wait a second here. If I like boost it, if I boost this post with like this keyword, but if I go to this region now, what's that going to do? And it's just like the craziest, like, obviously it's social media, like speak, but it's just like, we're in the middle of a development conversation and I'll just be like, Hey, wait a second here. What about this hashtag? Like, it's like, well, what what are you talking about, man? Like, yeah, But, but, but that's what you have to do. You have to live in it. If you want to succeed, if you want to get anything out there, you can't just half half ass everything. You have to really full ass the, the situation. And that, that's what we're trying to do with this project. We're trying to do our best to provide valuable content to everyone out there and not just give a bunch of stuff to to get some notoriety. We want to make sure that when people come to HTML, the things they're getting something that they're looking for. So, yeah. Definitely. so. That that's that's our way of dealing and mitigating failure to always get the value from every project that we maybe don't succeed. We have some projects on the shelf right now that maybe we'll bring them back, but even they're even though they're on the shelf, they're not even released in the public. I still have value from them because I learned technologies using them, like get, getting them to that point. Could you so, imagine? Could you imagine how bad this project would have been if this was our first? Like that. Like that's something to look at. Is we knew exactly. we had to be hit social. We would never yeah. have known that before. We knew we had to be ready to deal with people. We would have never did that before. We knew, I mean, I've done a podcast for years now, but imagine if we had just started that, like, you know what I mean? Imagine if this was our first podcast, exactly. this would like, this would have been a, just a disaster. Like I would have probably been still producing the first episode, but like, yeah. I know stuff from projects, either from digital dynasty design or personal projects that I've done on the side. So like every experience builds on itself and to even to even point to a little success, our like our last Chrome app, not to steal your segment here, Mike, but our last Chrome app, multiple accounts for is the most successful hands down. And we yeah. didn't even like we just pushed it out. We didn't even like care. It was like something we, we needed at the time. Yeah. And we just made it consumerized. But exactly. So, so every experience. Yeah. And I hope I hope three years down the line, um, we're looking at ourselves now. We're thinking, wow, that's what are, what were we doing? Because we've learned so much at that point and we've gotten to such a to such a different stage that this seems kind of like low for us. That, that, that's what you want, right? You want to be able to build on every single experience you have. You don't want your last project to be your best project. You want your next one to be your best one. You want it to continue like that. So that's really what we're doing. And that's real. That's how we're. That's how we're dealing with it. Um, so I think we should move on to the next segment. Um, oh God! Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> get get, <laughs> get, get, get this, my chair ready get here. This rant on the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get ready. Um, if, <laughs> if app overload is any indication, this one's even more of a hot topic. Web news. Uh, web news. All right. So today's web news will be Windows versus Mac OS. Here we go. Specifically, let's say let's narrow it down for development. But I'm sure we're going to rant about it in other ways because we can't really control ourselves. But I'm going to say for development for now. Um, so I'll start this off. So I've always used Windows from the very start. So when I was a kid, I learned Windows. And I think really, like realistically, that's probably the biggest reason that I'm still using Windows for development. Because to get myself you know, up and, up and going with a Linux environment or a Mac, so Mac OS environment specifically... Uh, would take me a little bit too much time. Although recently, since we've had to 
create some iOS applications for one of our clients, uh, I had to purchase a Mac and learn the Mac OS environment. So I have a little bit of input here, uh, a little bit of more valuable input than just saying, oh, Mac OS sucks because those things suck. So going going into it, I was already hesitant, but as as I started using it, I was kind of like, oh, you know, like this is okay, like it's it's usable. It's it's just like any other operating system. You kind of click and stuff opens. Uh, you type in stuff into the terminal and it installs. Uh, so it was it was all right, but I really did not enjoy the fact that it would crash, and then the crash screen would just say, uh, "You need to restart your computer." And that's it. <laughs> like, like there's no error code. Nothing is just like, oh, you need to restart your computer. Here's how you do it. Hold down the power button or something like that. No, nothing like, to go off of. Yeah. It's just, okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Like, yeah. Th- thanks for that. So that, that was a little bit, you know, weird for me getting like being used to blue screens. Blue screens aren't the most informative thing in the world, but at least they give you some sort of error code. Like they give you right on the page. They'll give you if it's a memory dump or something like that. Uh, so that that was one thing, and I and the other thing, uh, the app bar. I wasn't a big fan of the app, the app bar implementation. Like I, I'm a, I like the taskbar better. I think it takes up a lot less real estate on your page, and it gives you more information. Uh, Is that that thing on the bottom? Just for clarification. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a thing on the bottom that has all the apps. It's really cluttered, and like you like you install like you install an app, and it's kind of there, but it's kind of not. So when you open it. Um, you don't know if like you, if it's pinned automatically or not, which I guess you could say for Windows as well in the start taskbar. But it's I think it's a little clearer because the the start taskbar is just tasks really. You can pin like shortcuts to it, but there it's like actual apps and the 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 items are bulky. Like the actual app app icons are really bulky. You can make it smaller, but then it's even harder to see. It's like a mobile. It's like a home mobile. It's a dock, uh, launcher, right? Like if it's, you will, yeah, yeah. Like it's a little dock. Um, and then they have these like on the right side of it they have these like opened applications and then if so if you minimize an application it'll go on the right side of the app bar and you're like what but why is it not in the actual app bar like why why do i have to go over there now anyway i the little I black wrap, dot the little I, did, dot I didn't enjoy wrapping my head around it i eventually got used to it uh, cuz i had to use it for like 2 or 3 months um but i just i never enjoyed it like i never like, it's it's not as easy to see how many windows you have open of that application uh I just, I don't know. It's just most of these and I'll, I'll, these are opinions, 100% opinions and not gospel. Obviously a lot of developers and most of the, most of our audience is probably using macOS and I don't want to bash them for choosing macOS because really it's, it's fine. Like all of the app, all of the operating systems, Linux and windows, they're all fine. They all do the job. Um, the issue, like I'm just saying my issues and I'm just saying why I I'm sticking to windows Right. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to precurse that again. Uh, so then another thing is, like, it's harder to find cheap alternatives to expensive applications. So, like, the App Store has some good applications, and it's actually, like, the App Store is pretty complete as a store, which is nice on, on Mac OS. But um, if you want to find, like, a free open source application on Mac, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on an example, but I definitely had a few before. Uh, I you... definitely have an example if you want, actually. Go ahead, yeah. Um, well, we started Twitch streaming recently on my other project, and uh, one of the things was we have an Elgato. I think it's. I think it. I don't know for sure. I think it's the latest capture card that they released. We have like the HD sixty or something. Anyway, we have this like really good capture card that works with the Elgato software. Mm-hmm. But because and and that will Twitch stream. But we wanted some of the features that was in OBS 
Mm-hmm. So we download OBS, which is for Mac. You know, that's fine. There's no driver that was written by Elgato to to tell to tell OBS that it's a video import source. Mm-hmm. It's like just the software that Elgato makes works. So it's like you're like for us, we're like kind of stuck. Like it works, but it's like you're starting to get into that territory of like, oh, I had to use an alternative, and yeah. and that gets tiring. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like that's a specific epi- that's a specific example, but still like that that happens more often than I would have thought it would happen. Yeah, <laughs> like you're yeah. just doing something very simple like even in development and you're like, "Wait a minute, there's no application just for this that's free." Like you have to go and download like the, they have like to-do to-do applications on there for like $10. <laughs> What's going on? Like <laughs> Why are there to-do list applications for $10 when you can just use a web app? Anyway, like it, the prices seem kind of ridiculous on the App Store. And then that lead, leads me into my final complaint. And the real actual reason I would say I'm not, going, I'm not going to switch to Mac is just like the absolutely ludicrously expensive hardware. So when we went to go and buy a Mac... Oh, here we go. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> so we, we, went, we went to go buy a Mac. We're like, oh, let's just go buy like a Mac Mini. Or something like that. Remember, like you, you, you even suggested it, Matt. You're like, why don't we just buy a Mac Mini? It's their cheapest offering that they have on the website. Yeah. And I took yeah. a look at it, and I don't know if people have seen the Mac Mini, but it's. I'm pretty sure it's like five or six years old, and like you can still buy it new today. The support is questionable. It's definitely no, it's, like it's not even support. Like it's it's like why is it why is it five year why is the hardware five years old that you can buy today, and why does it cost six hundred dollars? We're in Canada, mind you. Yeah, Canadian but, dollars here, folks. Yeah, why does it cost here? Wait, let, let me say, let, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up right here. Apple, Apple.com, uh, Mini Mac Mini. Well, one of the one of the things I've noticed too with the with something like the Mac Mini that we have a couple of friends that are really big into Mac, and I'll ask them, like I'll be like, "Yo, like I'm thinking I need to buy an Apple product. What should I get?" And they'll warn me, like they'll they'll just be like, "Hey, like I don't have any personal evidence. Like there's no reports of this, but due to the trend of." you know, support on X product that I'm looking to purchase, it may get discontinued. And I'm like, oh, for the love of God, like this doesn't happen on a PC where, you know, maybe my driver is done, but my programs will still run for years, maybe other than games, you know, like, come yeah. on. Like I just, and for six, and you're right, 600 or did you have $600. the price there? No, that's what I got. So it's, it's $600. <laughs> it's a dual core processor. I'm pretty sure of no hyper threading. So you just <sighs> get dual, you get dual core. Uh, which I like, mean, I mean, like for what we were trying to do, like, cause for the amount we needed Mac OS, it would work, but that's still ludicrous. It's ludicrous. Yeah, it is absolutely ludicrous. And, um, you got a, you got a hard drive, not an SSD anyway. So it's, it just, it just blew my mind. So we went to the, the used route and we bought a, I think this is a 2012 MacBook pro 13 inch. And it was like, I think $500 cash at the time. Uh, which is also really expensive, and I understand their their hardware is like really high quality, and I I'm not arguing that. I like I like the feel of this hardware; it's actually really nice. But um, it's just it doesn't make sense. Like I I'm a techie, like I really like technology. I I'm really into uh, the new laptops that come out. I'm really into like building my own PC. I'm running in I'm running a eight core, sixteen thread Ryzen computer right now. Um, it's just when I go and look price comparisons yeah, for like a MacBook Pro, the new MacBook Pros that came out. I mean, again, we're in Canada, but we're, we're looking at like at least $2,000 for a MacBook Pro. 
with tags. And that and that's like the that's like the base. Like that's not customized, yeah. and that's not like added all the RAM that, or whatever else you yeah. can add on there. That is the base MacBook. Nothing like that. That is that is literally the base MacBook. Uh, that's without uh, the Touch Bar. So I'm I have to spend two thousand dollars to get a dual core processor right now. What what's what's super what's super interesting, and we've we've had this discussion a few times about stuff mm-hmm. like that, where like that's super expensive for a dual core, let's say, or just in, that's just expensive in general for a computer. Yeah. Where like you and I both have the same laptop. You bought it used. I bought it new. I bought it new for I, I think it was seven fifty on sale, yeah. Canadian, seven hundred fifty dollars, and I'm still using it. Like, and I could still play a lot of games on there because it's a gaming laptop. Like, what is? You know what you know what I'm trying to say? Like what like what's what's going on here? Like you would yeah. you would definitely, as far as I know, struggle with most games, if not all games, with that that dual core offering that you just mentioned there with the MacBook. All games. All games. Like, um, well, I mean, I mean, there's probably some indie games or something, but even even then, like it's what's it, it's strange to me. Like I just I just don't. They're treating it like a, and it's kind of the same with the Surface line, where it's like. This is a product. This is an experience, right? And I do get that. I'm not bashing that. Like, I really like, personally, the, the Surface Book uh, line. I really mm-hmm. like that thing. I, the hinge, I don't really like the aesthetics of the hinge myself, but I really like that line. Like, if money was no object with the performance base, I'd probably, get, I'd probably be running that. But, like, we bought uh, a Thin and Light uh, Galaxy Tab Pro S, for for myself for showing client stuff like it's a tablet that runs windows 10 pro and we got you a what is that thing it's an asus it's an asus ultrabook it's an asus ultrabook for i think together was less than 2000 oh yeah much less much less and like we're both now we're both equipped we're both can like you you code more I more or less read and then show people things on that thing, right? So different mm-hmm. like use cases, but we covered both use cases for less than that. And what what value? Like I need to see the value proposition of that Mac. If we had purchased that Mac for one of us, like let's say we we rationed it and we said, okay, just Mike will get one. Matt can deal without having a thin and light with him. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. What value did or would you get with that Mac over? your asus laptop i personally i can't think of one well i I don't think we would get any additional value other than the fact that we needed one for coding ios applications right like so let's let's take that let's take that off the table for a second yeah Uh, the fact that we would have to get the mac learn the mac os operating system Mm -hmm. adapt to it because we would have to change we have to change some of our habits because it's it's it is different not in any bad way really but it, it it does have a difference, so we'd have to change our habits. So we would just need to like it. It would take us a long time to get started, so we'd lose money there. Yep. And then after that, we wouldn't gain anything because we're not like we're not doing any sort of graphical work, which I don't even like. I I I would argue is probably okay on a PC as well. Yes, exporting export times in uh, Final Cut Pro are faster. Which, which I mean, if we were like a huge movie studio, like if our YouTube Might channel just studio, absolutely yeah. took off, we probably would have a Mac Pro somewhere. Yeah, exactly. In the studio. We, I'm okay. Like I'm fully okay with getting stuff for its utility. That's why we bought this MacBook, right? Like that we we needed it. I think we've earned much more than it costs. Based oh, on it, oh, it's paid w- for itself. Client. Yeah, it's paid for itself, no problem. And we could probably we could afford to get one of these MacBook Pros, these two thousand dollar MacBook Pros. 
um and it would stop it was still probably paid for itself uh but it's just like everything that this macbook for 500 dollars does the other one can also do so like my my i i just i don't understand the value proposition like you're saying i don't I don't get why you would spend over 20, like I'm looking at it right now. The new MacBook 13 inch, the new one with the touch bar is 24, starting at $2,400. See, like it's stuff like that. Like that's the experience thing again with the the touch bar. Yeah. You're, you're, you're getting an experience of a, yes, it's an operating system that, that run that made directly for the hardware of this thing, which is great. I like that. Right. But it's not that much better than a windows machine. Like it, if you're even looking at it from the, from rose color glasses, everything you can do on this, you can do on a windows machine bar, a few very specific utilitarian things. That's the the thing, right? Like the user experience is different for sure. Like in terms of the UI, but at the end of the day, you would both have the same MP4 PDF and MP3. If you had a project that needed those, you know, you would, you would all have them. And yes, Windows 10 has its shortcomings. Updates, I mean, they're getting better, but they were initially a disaster, right? For oh yeah, for sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, like everyone, like we can agree on that. And then um, there's some weird stuff, like like today I was trying to change permissions, and then I have a user that's just like a serial number it looks like mm-hmm. that just is my owner of my external drive. So sometimes when you get, I don't, I've never dealt with Mac in terms of advanced options. But on Windows, of course, I have, and I was, like, changing owners, and I just randomly, my external drive is owned by, like, some user that's just a bunch of numbers and a couple letters, which mm-hmm. isn't on my computer. So what is that? I don't know. And I, then I looked the, it up, and other people have the same problem. It's like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, like it, well, okay, another thing is, like, any any language settings on a Windows computer is a disaster. So, like, there's maybe 15, 20 different places you can change the language. There's no oh, reason that, for that. that's a good that's a good point. Is the is the the conflict between legacy and new? So yes. on like late, so on Windows like seven and um, eight to an extent. I think it had a settings menu. I used eight for a very short amount of time. So excuse my wrong speak if I yeah. say something. But um, basically, you use the control panel to change settings. And mm-hmm. with this new one, you have to like essentially click start and go to the settings cog, and there's a settings menu. But sometimes it will direct you to the control panel which is like the legacy way to do it and sometimes it's in both places yeah so there's like i mean and and that's like more advanced user stuff like even i don't see that on the Mm -hmm. daily but even even still it's like okay what the like what's going on here yeah so again yeah window windows 10 definitely has its has its uh negatives but i think honestly it's getting better and better it it's it's very user user friendly my uh my cousin recently switched from macbook to uh, Windows Surface device, and we actually like this. This was a great experience for for this segment because we went to both uh, at one of the malls here. We went to the Ma- Microsoft store and the MacBook store. The MacBook store, his the the MacBook that he wanted to get was twenty seven hundred dollars. Okay, <laughs> Jesus. Okay, <laughs> Canadian. I assume. And, and so. we're like, that's fine. Like you can get it. Like uh, that. This was one of it. Like a, a gift for him from from his dad or something like that for for going to university. So he's like, fine, you can get it if you want it. But then we went to the Microsoft store, and with the exact same experience, almost the exact same hardware, um, a better screen, some some pluses, some minuses. Obviously, you're gonna give like plus and minus. The touchpad on the on the MacBook is the best bar none. Everyone knows that. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying, like, yeah, well, with very with equal our plus and minuses, 
right the surface that he got with with everything in it like with the with the uh with the kickstand and all and the and the keyboard was i think it came out to twelve hundred dollars that's pretty like that's 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 pretty damn good so it's over a thousand dollars difference for that... <laughs> what is essentially the same experience yeah for someone like him like i mean he's just a he's just a university student he's not a programmer or anything he's literally like netflix he he just wants and he and he's switching from mac right like so he he understood and i i tried to ingrain in him i'm like listen you don't have to switch from mac because this is going to be a big switch for you and it's not an easy thing to switch from one operating system to another yeah yeah um, but then we went we went into the stores and like i mean i i actually built him a pc before this so he had a little bit of familiarity with computer but it, it was very like small and we went to the store and he went on the on the surface and he knew how to do everything because the gestures are very similar there's a few little differences but the gestures are very similar and really you're just clicking on like an, an like chrome and going to netflix right or clicking on windows uh microsoft word and typing some stuff in there wasn't much of a difference for him and he's like yeah i could do this and he did like he and i talked to him last week this has been about a year now it's been almost a year since he since he had the surface and he loves it Absolutely loves the Surface. So, I think the I think the Surface line is definitely is definitely something that Microsoft should have even done earlier to really show off Windows. Yeah, for sure, because it is a nice line of products. Like, yeah, exactly. that's why we bought a thin and light from Samsung just because it was cheaper, but it was similar mm-hmm. to the how the Surface works. Yeah, you know exactly. The so, like, the pen the pen is super nice too. Yeah, I mean I, I'm not a huge user of the pen uh, of pens and touchscreens and stuff like that. Although I do see like. Uh, my Asus doesn't have a touchscreen. I kind of wish it did, but it's a, it's a small thing. It's a small thing. That's another thing that the MacBooks don't have. Like you're paying twenty seven hundred dollars and you don't get a touchscreen. Yeah, for sure. Which is another like it, it's just like it's it doesn't it doesn't make sense value wise to me. I understand wanting to stay in your ecosystem, and I fully get that because that's kind of what I'm doing with Windows. But I would probably switch to Mac, or at least I'd try it for a little bit if it was more affordable doesn't have to be ridiculously affordable but like when you're when you're talking over a thousand dollar difference for comparable hardware yeah yeah it's getting it, it, it to me that seems like it's extremely pretentious they're, they're, they're the most like valuable company in the world now at a trillion dollars congratulations to them well one of the things i've heard joked around like amongst my friends even is like how apple store employees they don't they can't even afford the products they sell which makes sense like i mean they I don't know how their employee discount works or anything. Like these are just my buddies talking. They don't have mm-hmm. any actual in industry experience, but that like, that's kind of one of the jokes where it's like, they can't afford a, like, like a MacBook because they're, cause they're just like the salespeople. And like, that's true. But like in the Microsoft store, I mean, it might be a couple of paychecks or something, but well, you like, know, how do you, depending... how do you, how do you justify that? Like for a regular user, like, yes, a developer, like I said, we buy this $2,500 MacBook in a few in a certain amount of time, we're going to get the money back for it because we use it for work. How do you justify it as a regular student, not someone that has the disposable income of everyone else, but of like a, a more wealthy family, but like a regular student that has to pay for their own MacBook? How how can you possibly justify $2,500 when you're paying probably that much for like a university course? That's probably. the thing. Yeah. With the freelance, like if you're a freelancer, you could even justify, you could be like, Oh, I'm going to go on, you know, whatever job board I'm looking at. And I just bought this MacBook. I want to be able to pay for it in four jobs. And you could, you could do that. But like you said, as a university student, you might be, I mean, I don't really know how much tuition is in America, but like you might be doubling your tuition depending on what course you're going into. If you're if, like, essentially, if you're buying a, a MacBook that semester. Yeah. 
one of the remember one of the guys i remember one of the guys from our course i mean we're all we're like technicians essentially so we needed uh need pcs like but when we were in college one of the guys was sort of like a consumer that's what we call them like sort of a consumer and he he was all about mac we used to we used to call him alex mac <laughs> Um, yeah, but like he was all about Mac and he was the only one in our course that had a Mac and he couldn't do some of the stuff because like, I mean, like we had specific, like our course literally said you need a PC, but, Mm -hmm. but even, but even still like the fact that some, some of that stuff is like, like, come on, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like some of the stuff that he couldn't do, it was like, oh, I need to purchase this application or I need to, I need to really, I need to like download a new driver i need to run uh what's that one parallels or it's like it's like no like you're 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 tacking on stuff do you not realize that like for some reason these people that love mac like you do not do not realize you are you're hurting your own experience the other day prime uh prime example the other day on my other podcast uh the the guy who actually does the podcast and edits it his uh, his upload speed is very bad so we started he started sending it to me and i do the editing and that or i do the the uploading and i do like the show notes so what ended up happening was is is we had this problem where he needed to start exporting it in a higher quality so he what he used to do is he would export it put it in a google drive it would upload overnight and then i would take it make the video version and everything which was a bigger version this is why i'm uploading it and then i would upload both versions the audio and then the video what ended up happening was is he needed to do a bigger file size because i need to encode it in a different way now so i'm doing the encoding and everything else he couldn't, he literally could not send me that file. We tried Bluetooth. It was like, I mean, you know, he has an old Mac, he has an old Mac Pro tower. I'm going to tell you that right now. I think it's 2011, I think. Mm-hmm. So just like total disclosure there. He tried to Bluetooth it to me. It worked, but it was slow, like, like, like 26 KB a second or something. Yeah, that's not. So I plugged in my phone and it was like, oh, you need to download Android file switcher or something. I can't remember what it's called. So we're like, okay. So we downloaded the program. It kept freezing. So we gave up that week, just ended up using a memory stick. The next week we try again. I needed to download Samsung smart switch to browse my phone to do it. And it required a couple of restarts. It required a couple of permissions. And then when I was using it and I have very little exposure to Mac OS, but like the multitasking is everywhere. There's windows everywhere. There's those, I've already mentioned those little black dots under the apps on the app bar at the bottom to tell yeah, you when they're yeah, open. Yeah, not, not a huge fan of those black dots either. It's like, why doesn't that app bar fill up with either pinned stuff, like the taskbar does in Windows, mm-hmm. or why doesn't it literally fill up with what's open? Like, why do I need all this other crap? Like, what if I'm not using the 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 Office Suite, and I have all the Office Suite pinned because I do use it pretty often? It's like, that's just taking up space for no reason. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I'm constantly, like, jumping in between Launchpad and all this crap, and it's like, I honestly feel as if, like... We do the podcast, we record the podcast on a Mac because he's all Mac, which is fine. But whenever I try to like introduce something like, hey, let's just transfer to my phone. He's like, what? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I can't do that on my on my iPhone. Yeah. He's like, I can't just plug it in and use it like a memory stick. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's an SD card in here and there's internal storage. Just plug it in and dump the episode on here. It's a memory stick and I'm always going to have it. I'm never going to forget it. But he's like, oh, we just need to use a memory stick. But, and Mac people do that. They always make. They always seem to make excuses. Like it's ridiculous that we have to. That you're trying to transfer a file to a phone. What do you mean it's ridiculous that you, I'm trying to transfer a file to a phone? I need. To, I need to transfer a file. I want it on my phone. Yeah. Well, they have AirDrop, right? But it's only between Mac and Mac, Mac and iOS, oh iOS and God. iOS. 
Like and a, I think I think it, his phone too is closed. too new. I think his phone is too new to use use it with his Mac. I think <sighs> he said. I think he said that. And there was some other feature where he couldn't use a certain feature, and I don't remember what it was. But a Mac that has the the same specs as his, or so he was telling me. This was years ago. He was saying that a Mac that had the same spec as his, if his Mac was one year newer, even though it had the same spec. His was banned from using a certain feature because it was a 2011 one, mm-hmm. and hit and this other one got this new feature. And I was like, you know, maybe there's like a different chip in there or something that they're not telling you about. But isn't it ridiculous that it's like, oh, 2011, get out of here, like well, just get out of here. They're, they're notorious for doing that stuff, like live photos. I, iPhone 6s could do it, and I think iPhone 6 couldn't. Like what? There was like, no what is reason. Going on? There was no actual like hardware reason for that. It was just you know upgrade now. And the, the whole the whole thing with I love this. I love the dongle argument. This has been an argument since the beginning of the, the removal of headphone jacks and then eventually the removal of a bunch of ports. Mm-hmm. I love the argument of like, we'll just simply plug in a dongle and like 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 simply plug in a dongle and like plug in all this other stuff. It's like you don't even like like you're not realizing that I mean they probably are realizing it, but like Yes, USB-C is the future, but why aren't you transitioning to the future? You're just cutting. You're just like, mm-hmm. okay, no headphone jack. And to be honest here, to be honest here, people are like, well, wireless is the future. Not necessarily. Like, it's 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 a headphone. Like, like, like the headphones still perform the same function. And and the phone is in my pocket. So you can't say to me that, like, oh, well, what do you want? A big, a big, like, like, one of the arguments I heard was you have your, you have your phone on your, on your desk. And you want to you want to get up and walk across the room to do something. Mm-hmm. You could do that with Bluetooth headphones. I'm like, what if the phone's in my pocket because it's a mobile device? Yeah. Like well, you what? could. Why 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 would you cut the headphone jack just for? To my my opinion, no reason. Like, and they didn't add battery to that area. It's not like they were like, oh, we can use this extra area for battery. No. Like, like what? It like. There was no reason to cut the headphone jack. There, it was it was a only a ploy to get more people to buy the Bluetooth. But I'm I'm a fan of, and this is this is probably strange, and this is a little off top. Well, it's not off topic, but it's not specifically about macOS. But if you if you want to, and I don't know whether this is their mentality, but if their mentality is to, hey, we don't want headphone jack anymore, then I do not want a headphone jack on my MacBook. Do not go half in. If you are gonna take away the, the headphone jack, if it's an old technology that you have the courage, as they said, to remove. Then remove it from your your Mac Pro. Remove it from your head. Remove the headphone jack from your MacBook. That's a disgusting port now. Get rid of it. If it if you truly believe that it shouldn't be on a device and it's no longer useful, take it off of the of the MacBook. Why is it on there? You I, truly you still believe in it to some extent. You must. Yeah. Well, no, they do. The, the 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 I believe the actual statement is is that it's it's needed in a professional notebook because they do professional sound editing. What about USB A? We need USB A on those freaking on those MacBooks, and everyone's like, "No, we need a dongle." Oh my god! Yeah, they, they, no matter what, they'll have an excuse for it. The, the thing that really makes me angry is not, well, actually, the, the Apple doing that, but then all other companies following suit. And I, I like, especially Google doing like removing the headphone jack right after Apple did. Oh yeah, um, like props to Samsung for not doing it yet. But honestly, like, don't like I hate when companies copy Mac when it's the wrong thing to copy. Like, I understand they always try to copy, like, with the notch this year. Why is everyone copying? It's yeah, the why, worst why you design copying? decision that, they, that they've that they made. It's the one that has the most, like... <laughs> but the thing is, is that it generates news and it generates more, like, hype. So they don't even care that people hate it. The fact that they hate it 
is good for them. It's like, oh man, people are talking about our product, even though they hate it. It's just it's, it's I, so hate, strange. I hate that so much, but it's it's what it's what sells. Unfortunately, like these conversations and these uh, like what, what we're talking about right now, we just spend a whole segment talking about Mac. They like that. They like the fact that there's people arguing against them because that they're relevant. So. Either way, I'm not against Mac and I'm not against anyone else. I think that it, there is a space for them. I just wish that they would be c- come down to reality and like just make adjustments to their ridiculously overpriced line of product. Like, you, you how would, how can they possibly justify a ten thousand dollar MacBook Pro right now? Like, that that's how much their upspec MacBook Pro is American. Sorry, ten thousand dollars American for their upbook oh MacBook Pro. Let, let alone Canadian, it's probably like eighty eighty five thousand Canadian rupees. Like, it's just. One of the one of the messed up things, and like uh, actually, I will I'll give a I'll give a nod to Mac for this because I've been bitching the whole time. Yeah. I'll give a nod to Mac where I do like how it's it's like a consumerized OS, but you have like your Linux terminal there essentially because they're both on like Unix, yes, like Linux and you know what I mean. So you could use a lot of your Linux commands in there. So if yeah. you're like a, a command line, I mean, there's command line in like CMD in in well, Windows and but, Bash now, right? And Bash, Bash yeah, Bash there's is like fully fully integrated into well. Most mostly integrated into Windows now, so that's great. Yeah, that is great. But like they, uh, admittedly, like they had it first, so sure, like yeah. like I, if you're really big into that, sure. But again, like really, like how far back are you being held by using a Windows PC? And I really don't think you are. No. It, it's it's really it's really bizarre. Uh, it's it's oh, it's a strange mentality. Like I I just I really hate I really hate that that like the where you have your foot half in. I don't know. Get rid of the. You know what I actually voted for? Um, for when we were, I, I have like a lot of discussions with with uh, my other buddy about Mac because he's huge into it. And one of the things that I said was they should not allow any other third. And people are going to hate me for saying this. They should not allow any other third party manufacturer from connecting Bluetooth to to an iPhone. I would have taken Bluetooth out and W one only. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that's, and like I mean, that's and, ridiculous. I'll, I'll... But no, but think about this. Think about this. If 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 you are if you are a guy who uses headphones a lot, so if you're a, a, an audiophile, you have a real nice pair of headphones, and you want to use that adapter now, you can't charge at the same time. If you're a true audiophile, you might be listening to music so much that you need that opportunity. You need that thing. So you either have to stop listening with your headphones that you plug in. Like this is to the iPhone, mm-hmm. or you have to buy one of those charge and listen dongles or whatever they're. Which called. not all of them work correctly, and even the ones that do work correctly work bad. So okay, like I like I, and admittedly I haven't looked into that, but like mm-hmm. there you go. So one of the things that I said was if 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 Apple is truly and if they are, I don't know if they are, but if they are truly all about, we want to keep you in this walled garden. I'm not kidding. Just get rid of everybody else then. Go full in. You guys have a you guys have like a lot of money. You guys have a huge install base, especially with the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And the Mac at my last check, and I haven't checked recently, was still growing, right? And they're doing some work with the Mac Pro now, where they're like trying to revitalize it because they kind of let it like get stagnant, right? With the little with the trash can, as people call it. But I'm serious, like like do not allow Bluetooth connection. Get rid of it. If you th- if you if you know best, you own Beats. Sell professional studio things from Beats. Sell professional, or you have your AirPods for the consumer. So all the Apple stuff's consumer. Sell professional things from Beats and higher-end consumers slash audiophiles. And make it W1 only. They can't connect to other phones. 
and other phones and other phones or other headphones can't connect to to the phone. Seriously, like keep yourself in a walled garden. Like W one in in the MacBook, W one in the in the in the, the the tower. Go all in. I think personally, you will make more money. People are so in love with Mac. Are they really in love with with their Sennheisers or Sennheisers? Yeah, they are. But are they in love with the Sennheisers enough to leave the Mac and iPhone and maybe the Mac Pro they have at home? I don't think so. Yeah. It'll I probably just generate it. more negative buzz, which will then in turn generate more profit. And and Beats Beats will make a bunch more sales. Yep. I and and I know that that sounds crazy from my perspective, but I'm a fan of of staying with your ideology. If your ideal if if their ideology is to close people out, and I don't know if it is, but if it is, then do it. Don't do it half-assed. Do it all in one generation. Just go. All right, guys, we're shutting her down. Everything yep. has to be Mac or Mac associated. That's I mean, it. I'm going to disagree with you there, but I understand where you're coming from. Um, I think we're going to wrap this up real quick. Yeah, yeah. We've been, we've been, so been, yeah, this could go on uh, for a whole hour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's another rant. This is this is this is what web news is coming is is coming to. It's just rants, rants after rants. Which <laughs> what? There's we need a place for it. So yeah, we, we need, might yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if anyone um, if anyone has any more comments, you can contact us on Twitter at HTML Everything. So yeah. give, give us a comment on what you if you use Mac or Windows, and if you agree with us or if you disagree, uh, especially if you disagree, give us a shout out us. Yeah, give us get, some criticism. Yell, yell at us on, yell at us on the Instagram too. <laughs> yeah, it's hit at, up that comment at, section. Add HTML, all the things. Yep. Yep. So yeah, give us, uh, give us your comments. I would love to hear from everyone else about this Mac. I mean, I, I know it's been done to death, and I've heard it a million times. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear everyone else's comments on it. So I think we're gonna wrap it up. Yep. Uh, do you want me to just do the closing here? Do the closing. Uh, uh, so if you like the show, thanks for listening thus far and make sure to, uh, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at HTML, all the things you can also find us on Twitter at HTML, everything HTML, all the things.com is coming soon. However, you can hit up the podcast directly at podcast.html, all the things.com with more news coming. So hit up those social media channels to make sure you don't miss a thing. We're also on medium. You can look us up publication, HTML, all the things or you can look up Mike uh, Mike Coran or Matt Lawrence on there as well to find the same thing and thanks for listening